Welcome back, everybody, to the Posh Cotney podcast. You're listening to Liam Norval, and this is Hospitality News, brought to you by the Industry Titans. I want to start by saying a big thank you to Roger Payne for coming on on Tuesday. Let's go on to today's episode. We've got the Managing Director of Soho Estates, John James. He's one of the most well-respected landlords in the country, and we talk about the Save Soho campaign. Before we start the show, let's hear from our sponsors, Utilitrack. As one of the UK's leading commercial energy consultants, Utilitrack help businesses spend less on their utilities. There's never been a better time than now to review your costs. So if you'd like free help or advice on saving money on your utilities, email us at inquiries at utilitrack.co.uk or visit our website www.utilitrack.co.uk. John James, how are you? Um, very well. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me here. Thanks for coming on. It's it's a pleasure to speak to you. How have you found lockdown so far? I'm actually fortunate that I live in the country, so I can look out into green fields. And I do feel very, very badly for persons who are, it must be so difficult in the cities. You're, you're locked down in a low amenity block, or you can't get out some fresh air, or even, you know, up until now, anyway, I know they'll relax the rules somewhat now. But, uh, you know, I... Personally, I'm quite fortunate that I, I live in the city, so therefore I have plenty of grass around. I live in the countryside, so I have plenty of grass around me. Whereabouts are you? Cumbria? Uh, no, no, I come from Cumbria originally, way, way many years ago. I, no, I live out in, uh, in past Guildford, sorry. Okay. The listeners will be very keen to know about your career and how it all started. A little birdie tells me you worked in hospitality many years ago. I came to London in uh, 1977, but it was one of those, you know, I, you know, like Soho is very famous for embracing immigrants, and I would be classed as a financial immigrant. I was in an area in the north of England, there was minimal opportunity, you either had the method of university exit or a uh, apprenticeship in a local industry of which there are none left now so i mean i came to london to try to pursue opportunity and i'm not so much of a success but i mean of course one came here because this is where the opportunity was right so that would be that would be about 1977 various jobs later i got a job as the duty manager at the embassy club in old bond street which at that point in time was one of london's potter's clubs started off by the residual studio of 54 people in new york uh, Stephen hater was the my particular boss at that time and so the embassy club was such a club that uh, before they gave me the job i wouldn't have been able to get in i would not have been the membership i would not have been a member and so i ran the embassy for quite some time and then I went to work for Paul Raymond in 1986 in Soho Estates, but I went to work for Paul to run his then, uh, the reopening of what was the original Windmill Theatre, which turned into something called Paramount City, which became a sort of a variety hall stroke disco eventually kind of gig. So it was an all-encompassing variety act he was trying to put on. But upon that stage in the, uh, in the Windmill, uh, Arthur Smith was on that stage, £80 a week, uh, Paul Merton was on that stage, £60 a week, if that. There was a lot of people went through that early comedy programme on that stage. When I first got the job as a duty manager, I, I couldn't believe it. I realised that all I really needed to do was breathe and counter till. And then I just <laughs> took it from there and off I went. I ended up running the clubs. I ended up being the operations director of that club. And then I worked for Paul Raymond at his club. And eventually... Paul decided quite wisely um, no longer wanted to run any more nightclubs. Yeah. He'd rather just collect the rent, moved into the 
property management of a portfolio in which there are a lot of the hospitality industry that we know is, is suffering today. Yeah. So Soho Estates. So how long have you been there for then in total now? I started working in 1986. I must, what, must be 34 for 35 years. Can't do the math. And you're now um, managing director? I, I'm the managing director. Soho, Soho Estates is a company started by Paul Raymond. Paul Raymond started in the Raymond Review by 1958. There's a young man after the war. Very typical of a Soho colourful character. He told me he, he rented a club, which is the came, became to be known as the Raymond Review Bar, and he had six weeks' worth of money, or he was bust. That small acorn of six weeks' worth of money is the empire that we know today called Soho Estates. And Soho Estates is one of the major landowners in Soho. We are, we are called a stakeholder, Liam, and the difference being, as a stakeholder, you have more than one or two pieces of property. You engage into the community of the area in which you, you are prevalent, shall we say. Yeah. Stakeholders, for example, Grosvenor, uh, The Crown, Westminster, Shaftesbury, all the people who have who have a lot to do and a lot of responsibility within a certain area. How many properties do you manage in it's, it's a funny thing, funny thing, because I've never had the answer to that. Although, I, obviously, I, there's a file somewhere. <laughs> Paul was very, very, very reluctant to talk about any of this kind of stuff. And he drilled it into all of us. Nobody talks about this except me. So you think, okay, sir, brilliant. It's your, your bat, it's your ball, off yeah. you go. So we never sort of made it public. Although now we're, we're you know we're a reconstituted company. The Paul died in two thousand and eight. His granddaughters, my daughters, inherited it, but not here it is off you go. But it, you know in, under a series of protected trusts and, yep. and management, a management structure, it enabled me to take the. 2008 when Paul died I, I actually took over in 2011 and then I just had to reconstitute the company to make a commercial company run by a family business and there's no saying in a family company that you've got the family you can run it I mean yeah. it's, uh, just yeah. the sun's around doesn't mean you can do all these kind of things so you have to put a professional board in between the two and that's what we've done and I think at that point at that point in time when Paul died, we ended up running the company Soho Estates as we know it today, was 2011. And what one was looking to do, which was historically Paul Raymond, who came from, you know, a Liverpool Street drummer he was, but he always said he was very pleased he wasn't a very good drummer. But he came to London with nothing, and he built up this big empire, and all he really wanted, all he, well, well not, what, he, what he did was he, he collected property, and he bought property, and then suddenly we hear they had a lot of property. My job was to translate this collection of property and repair it, renew it, replace it, because we think we're never going to sell it. So we need to look at this and think what Paul would say to me would be, I'd say that building might need some repair. And he'd say, is the, has the man paid the rent, John? And I'd say, yeah. He said, well, forget it. Don't do anything. Right? Now, that's 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And that was very prevalent then. But now you think, no, are, are we going to sell it, girls? No. Uh, will we still have it in 100 years? Yes. Bar the catastrophe we find ourselves in today, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Will we better fix it? Fix it, repair it, renew it. And yeah. keep the thing alive, you know. And make these buildings that we own fit for purpose, for modern day purpose. How has the coronavirus affected your business and obviously your, your family of uh, tenants? Well, you see, Liam, we've got one of the strengths of Soho is this rich tapestry that we all know Soho, the DNA of Soho, the eat, drink, be merry. Why do you want to go to Soho? Well, various people of various ages 
get find great pleasure in Soho. And I always used to think, look down that street in Soho as a zoo, as a, like a zoo. And in that zoo, there's people going into Las Cargo, there's people going into Soho House, there's people going into Groucho, there's people going into some, some dungeon down there for some reason or other. Yeah, yeah. But they're all over, all these people, just one wonderful, wonderful, inclusive place, right? And the strength of that is all the owner occupiers who are our business tenants, or a lot, a lot of little businesses. And then we have the Soho Houses, you have the Groucho, you have Valens, you have you know, a few big examples of good, successful brands. But the colour of it is the innovatory and the modern and the new and the and the young idea. And you come out of your creative industry and you go into a bar pub in Soho and you still keep talking and you still keep the live thing. But you might get another script. You might get another film out of this. I don't know. Yeah. But that's what we are starved of now that very thing so we looked at Soho we look at Soho and then and you think all right these these are all my strengths I've just described to you now these people are my weaknesses because they can't survive this yeah uh, financially they don't qualify for much in the way of government support uh, the government grant system doesn't aid them very much because they are a the rate system they're below the rateable value and they don't pass muster they don't pass the criteria uh, for a bank loan so We've got so we have two problems. And if you look at back at the first problem, the first problem was March quarter. Now this is for all landlords. Now all landlords are being at the moment unfairly, in my view. Some might, some might not. But a landlord is normally described as either greedy or grasping. I mean that seems to be the title before you you put before a landlord, right? Yeah. yeah. But a landlord himself has also running. He's running a business, and in that business he has outgoings and he has incomings, and he has his own responsibilities, normally interest rates and covenants to bankers and people. So, if you take us back to March, the March quarter was eight days after lockdown. Now everybody who pays rent would have had the March quarter because mm-hmm. they pay the rent, and normally everyone does. So. They had that rent prior to the March quarter, ready to pay, because the lockdown was eight days late. Eight days later was the quarter. So let's just suggest that they had that money, but they withheld that money. I collected perhaps ten percent of my March quarter rent. But let's establish they had it. They chose to withhold it. Now we are moving on to the June quarter. June quarter vastly different from my point of view. Nobody has traded in between. So how do I ask anybody for rent from a place where no one's trading? Right? And you think, well, that's, that's impossible. My tenants open the doors. They've been saved by the furlough system because other, that's, that keeps people in a living. That keeps people people's livelihoods alive. And the restaurateur can have a rates break and a furlough break. And what we have booked, is say, you, are, do you, you do have an obligation to take my property or somebody else's property to the property and have quiet enjoyment of that property for this period of time and for that you pay rent. That's the whole contract. And therefore, you're obliged to pay for it. Now, what I've decided to do is say, right, I'll defer the first lot of rent because you did have it, right? But let's not worry about that just now. I will also defer and push the next June quarter to a point where, say, you could have traded for a month before you before I start pay, asking me for money. And I'll step your rent up so I can give you something like 18 months to recover from this position. And if you analyse what that actually means, that is an interest-free loan because I have an ability to charge interest within my lease, but I choose not to. So I'm saying to the tenant, I don't want you to go. Now, there's obvious reasons why I don't want you to go. I'd have a ghost town on my hands, number one. Soho would be, it would take years to recover from this position and we would lose a lot of the vitality that was there 
because there's no second wave of people waiting to jump into these places because of the you know the circumstances we, we find ourselves in. So it's better to help the guy who's there. And I feel strongly that I've got to help the more vulnerable people out there because they are the new starters, the innovators, the new ideas, the young kids. And, you know, they, there's, there's a lot of medium businesses and, and strong businesses who they should be able to help themselves, right? So I've kind of viewed it that this is what we need to do. Somebody commented to me the other day, do you know what, John, it's like the bank of landlord. I said, no, what, what's that kind of mean? He said, well, they don't even ask for a loan. They just don't pay you. They just, they just take it, yeah. right? And you've got to pursue them. And the government says you can't. So that is, in technical terms, the landlord underwriting the government's rescue of business because he's not getting money. Yeah. Now, just to put the lid on that explanation, it won't be long before property companies are going bust because they've got people who are asking for their interest and they're asking, not so much interest is, is, is a problem I don't think a lot of the time, but certainly covenant is because covenant means you have to have three times the money you owe somebody mm-hmm. to pay them. Banks are very insistent on such things. Um, so if you said to me, John, what would help you? If you relax my covenant, I'll be fine. Uh, but no problem. I can get my tenants in the next 18 months to two years. Mm-hmm. But I have to be worried about my covenants. Of course. But I, I have chosen to take this view. And, you know, I, you know, the last person I want to talk to, Liam, is a lawyer. We deal with this with our tenants. We talk to our tenants all the time. Yeah, yeah. We had Mark Fuller on uh, the show last week. He spoke extremely highly about you. And he said that I think because of your hospitality background, you understand your tenants more than probably other landlords would around around the city of London. Would you agree with that? Well, yes, I, I think so. Because, you see, Liam... I don't want to pry into everyone's, anyone's business, right? But I do know that a lot of these restaurants are hand-to-mouth. They cannot survive one quarter. They cannot definitely survive two quarters. They are running good businesses, good businesses which, which we like to enjoy, but they're a bit hand-to-mouth. They, don't, they, they probably haven't got the P&Ls to get those. Definitely haven't got the P&Ls to get bank loans. So when you've run a business like that and you realise it's not quite what it looks like on the outside when everyone's having a jolly good time, right? There's a lot of hard work going behind the scenes there. There's a lot of things that are, that have to come together to get that success, right? I've been in that business and I've done it, so I understand it. And um, I very much conclude why Paul Raymond decided we're not doing that business anymore. <laughs> we'll just rent it to somebody else. That was yeah. understand that decision really easily because it's bloody <laughs> hard work. So I've seen a lot on social media and in the Evening Standard your Save the Soho campaign. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Save Soho came about, we, we've got a, a sort of a concentration of hospitality businesses in, uh, in the streets, which are basically from Soho Square down to Old Compton Street, Greek Street, Dean Street, Fifth Street. And those streets are quite capable of being pedestrianised, temporarily pedestrianised, i.e. no cars. That's all I'm saying. No cars for a limited period of time in those streets because they're, they're not, those streets don't actually traffic anywhere. You can go up either side of um, Soho in uh, Charing Cross Road and you can go up on Wardour Street. So, you, you know, through traffic can happen. But that's not the important bit. The important bit is that in those in the streets of what I would call the high street of all Compton Street, I'm in contact with. I sent an email to forty. I've got forty-four businesses in those streets in the hospitality business, and now of course I've got people joining us who are not in. Are not my tenant. We don't own all of it. Right? I sent an email to the tenant saying, "This is such an extraordinary time. We need to consolidate an effort here to try to get the streets to be able to be our social distancing space. 
So you can come out in your, I mean, there are, there are already a lot of tables and chairs in Soho, but they're restricted to the pavement. And there's an awful lot of red tape to get a table and chair in Soho. And I am uh, talking directly to the Westminster Council because as stakeholder landlords, we have a sort of a concord right to the leader, Rachel Robertham and Stuart Love, who is the chief exec, and the cabinet and all the other three guys who are doing this and, and, and lady. And, and they they know that they've got to help, but they've got there's, there's agendas that we all respect, right? The agenda of the resident community, absolutely, he's got to, it, it, they live there. I understand that, but I'm saying just postpone all previous agendas until we until we we're economically on our knees here. There are bombs dropping all around us, and you either have a ghost town because financially that will not be replaced for two years, a ghost town. So let's just postpone the previous agendas and. We'll pick them up later. We've got the sun shining right now, and this this lockdown comes, and you can't still trade in Soho because the social distancing rules do not allow it. Then we will see catastrophic failure in Soho. That's what will happen. Right? The simple thing I'm asking for, uh, because I couldn't get straight into the, the the heart of power, was to say, look, I've got these tenants who would love to do this, and can we do this? And then once I got that. A resounding yes. The Westminster said, look, this is extraordinary times. We will look at things we've never looked at before. But they've got restrictions, and I understand that. And they've got, their, you know, there's a lot of questions flow from that kind of thing. I am just saying, basically, do you know what? It's four plastic barriers. You put them on four streets, and that's it. Yeah. You know, I was also speaking to a friend when I said, you know, if this was France, they wouldn't even ask, right? No, they just do it. They're just burning tires, out, not quite burning tires. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Streets, tables out, you know, sewers, right? Because we've got to make a living here. I think I've got a lot of support. The residents I know, I talk to them, they have got reservations. I'm trying to answer their reservations. The councillors have got their support. And what we're saying is we need out there. We need to be out there as soon as lockdown for restaurants stops. If that's July 1st, we want to be out July 1st. July 15th. We, so we try to answer all these questions now to prepare ourselves for then. And I've got, uh, this morning, I've got a list of questions from residents and I've got a group of tenants and I'm saying, right, these are what we need to answer and this is what we need to provide to the council to say this is how it works. Since I started this on, on Thursday, I put up my savesoho.co.uk. 1,760 people have joined this Friends of Soho. I've just said, look, this is what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it on my own, right? Yeah. I'm not suggesting I am logistically going to organise a festival. In the street in which all these businesses are, are very, very capable operators. They've all got licences, which means they're fit and proper to run a bar, restaurant, club. They've been passed by the law of the authorities that need to, to make them fit and proper and licensees. And you're going to say, chaps, organise this, in a way that you can cooperate with each other, which which are all independent businesses, which you know in other circumstances could be difficult. But in this circumstance, look, this we've got to pull together. This has got to be this has got to be a coalition. It has not got to be jipes and criticism from the sides. Yeah, because otherwise the area will suffer. You know, I talk Soho. Soho is the heart of London. Soho, then called West End, then called the heart of London, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the centre of tourist industry is London. We, we've just got to fight for it. That's all I'm saying, right? We've got to fight for it. So I make a fuss about promoting it. I'm now trying to connect the answers to the questions of the logistical 
problems of making it happen. When I'm quite simply saying, four six plastic barriers, shut those streets down and let the people who are in those streets manage themselves. Because I can't see anything else but cooperation in these times. I mean, I can't. I, I, I think that's the key word. You know, as I say, we're all in the same boat here. I don't know when government aid's going to come, Liam. Right? I don't know. But if I was in government, I'd be thinking, hang on, 60,000 people have just lost their job in Southampton because cruise ships aren't moving. 60,000 people have just lost their jobs because airlines aren't moving. 9,000 people have lost their jobs because Rolls-Royce has reduced its orders. These are serious things before a big recession comes our way. Yeah, yeah. Right? And we're to talk about eat, drink, and be merry in Soho. But truly, that's the human soul. The human soul, the human condition, is not designed to be locked up and isolated because it likes to be expressive and interactive. It likes to meet people and talk, which is probably why I'm talking too much here. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to express yourself, Soho is certainly the place to do it. And Posh Cockney and uh, myself are fully behind the campaign, and we've shared that along, and I'll share it after the podcast as well. I'm interested to know how you see the future of hospitality. I would suggest Soho has always reinvented itself way back when it was, when it was first uh, built upon in 1660. Soho's reinvented itself time and time and time again. It, it's always been a centre of liberalism and tolerance. So they've all reinvented themselves, Liam, over the years. When, if you ran around Soho in the 50s and you ran around Soho in the 60s and 70s, each time you did this, you'd be telling somebody else that was the best time, by the way. Right? What I say is, when people talk about the nostalgia of Soho, I say today is their kids' nostalgia. They all think the Soho today. If we get back to the Soho today that we, we left 12, 16 weeks ago, that will adapt. Not by, not by my hand, it, but it will adapt. The people who are running the clubs and the bars and the restaurants and just that ambiance of Soho, it's had many challenges in the past. This is a challenge. This is not forever, right? We will hopefully, we'll have a drink in a bar in Soho and go, thank God for that. That's well, what hopefully, I... Hopefully not just one bar. We'll do, we'll do the strip. <laughs> <laughs> John, do you, do you love what you do? I absolutely do, Liam. I absolutely do. I, I'm very fortunate. I'm doing it in, in this wonderful place called Soho. We've got some quite exciting uh, projects going in Soho. I mean, we redeveloped, as time went on, all of the Soho houses, because the Soho houses were, were basically old buildings. They were fit for purpose then, but they certainly weren't fit for purpose now. Soho is a conservation area, and in that area there's a lot of historic buildings. So I am really proud that we have recovered, replaced, and renewed some historic buildings in Soho that will now be there for the next 150 years. Um, and 76 Street, which is a Soho house as well, was built in 1770 and it was burnt down. It was derelict for eight years. We've put that building back. And when you walk into that building, you would think you were still in the building that was, pre that was built in 1775. And the reason for that was that architecturally, we could put all the machinery and the equipment required for a business into the rear, which is an old muse building post-war, no, no architectural merit. So you look at that building, and I walk past that building, and think, that, without me, that wouldn't be there. Yeah. That, without me, that would have still been a burnt-out shell, because we came with the solution that fits the criteria that Soho demands. I just say, okay, I can do this, but you've got to let me make it fit for purpose. Well, there's always a challenge, right? 
I mean, there's a challenge to, to do what we do. So we, we, we're building a very big building on the corner of uh, Charing Cross Road, which used to be the Foils Bookshop. And that is a massive site. Uh, and of course, it stopped a moment for a bit, a bit of time for the COVID, but not too long. But we're going to create in, on Charing Cross Road in, in, a, in a building there called Elona Rose House. And it's the reason it's called Elona Rose is my children are called Fawn Elona James and India Rose. James. So Elona Rose House is the name of this building. Nice. This is a big building and it's going to be I've got Warner Brothers in the basement anchored into a sound studio which I'm building and then I've got eight floors about 25,000 square feet per floor which you don't get in Soho. There's no footprint big enough to do that. So these are really exciting projects. This I was supposed to be on the roof of this building in June laying a little doodah but I'm not sure <laughs> but the roof will be there I'm not sure I could be there that's the problem the running of a property company and the creativity of the of protecting what I consider to be a, a, a privilege to protect this conservation area that we all know and love and yet still make it fit for modern purpose because it, as I said earlier it reinvents itself all the time right so suddenly you walk down Peter Street and there's a queue of kids right around the block, right? And there's this shop, the little little shop says Supreme. And I walked down there, I said to one of these kids, what, what's all, what, you, what are you queuing for? And of course he looks at me and thinks, if you have to ask, I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that queue. <laughs> this is a skateboard shop, right? Now the locals don't much like this queue because it goes right around the block, right? But I'm thinking, myself, my cast my mind back. I think, well, once upon a time to be queuing like that for sex cinemas and peep shows and God knows what. <laughs> and now it's a bunch of kids queuing for. So I'm saying it go, it moves on, and we should embrace that, not criticise that. What's your biggest success and your biggest failure in business? I'm hoping my biggest success is Alona Rose House because I can't, barring this consequences of this, I don't think it will stop us. But it has certainly made us be cautious about continuing what the market will be when this is finished is a probably a different picture to what we were envisaging while we're building this building when the loan arose goes up and it's finished and it's eight floors up and we're going to take the very top office with a beautiful terrace of two and a half thousand square feet and i'm going to look down now this maybe this is the bit if you cut me badly here i'll sound i'll sound pretentious but i'm going to call the the road as not yet made james court and I, where I come from, my northern background, <laughs> that is someone else to think there's a little court in London with, with our name on it. That is my biggest. And I don't know, when you talk about worst decisions, PR was not an immediate success. And he was a very successful man. He failed many times and he yeah. just kept doing it and he kept doing it. So if I pin, I can't, I, I, honestly, I can't pinpoint one. I mean, I, yeah, I bought some flats in, in Abu Dhabi, right? 18 floors up no in, i mean that that means fresh air right <laughs> and and they're only worth what i pay for them now <laughs> so and that was 2010 maybe 2008 i can't remember 2009 so a dodgy abu dhabi uh, business deal is is the biggest thing so I, I was led by the nose a bit and uh, i thought yeah okay why do you still do it without sounding disrespectful? You could be of an age of retirement. What makes you tick? Why do you get up every day to still do well, what you do? One of the most obvious reasons I have now discovered that I do not wish to retire is this that's happened to us all here. Right? 
because although I can do it here in my computer and I can, I'm very happy to do so, I, I do want to go to London. I want to go to lunch. I want to go to socialize with people. I want to go and see my buildings. I, I would think that until my children want to throw me out, I will be able to stay and do this. But I've got to say, it makes me think a little, this, this, how I've learned to work here in this environment I find myself in, which is not unpleasant, and I can, I can certainly have the amenity values of my house. But it has made me think about, you know. But then I thought, if you retire and can't have any of these excitements, I think I'll probably have my decanters would just be a bit more. <laughs> Do you have any personal goals you haven't reached yet? Well, I, I, no, honestly not. A construction basis, I want to see Alona Rose built. That's number one. I have the pleasure of having two granddaughters. Fawn uh, has two and India has one. And they are arriving later today, as the rules allow. Not all of them. Two separate visits. <laughs> uh, but I just look at my two, three little granddaughters, who are five, two and not yet one. And I look at them and think, this is all yours, you know. This, we will never, this is generational. I will protect the generational uh, fire of the world. It's, it's called, you, put, you, don't, you don't dissipate the, 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 this creativity, you protect it. So they'll all be all right, they'll be well off, they'll be fine, yeah. Yeah. but they will not be able to destroy it. That, that's my particular goal. If, you, if, the, if it's the goal that goes when I'm, when I'm writing my last will and testament, <laughs> don't spend any of this, just live nicely. Don't, yeah. don't, you know, there's no need to be greedy. There's yeah. no need to be greedy. Do you have a? I'm putting you on the spot now. Do you have a favourite restaurant in Soho? They used to change. Like they used to change. I find myself going to by choice. I would go to the Club of the Ivy. I used to go to the so uh, the the Poland Street Social Club. Yeah. And then they have another one which I've got. I've gone to quite a bit, which is on the other side of Hanover Square. The um, Something Street Social Club. I mean, I'd go to Soho House quite a bit, obviously. You know, I remember sat there in 1995 in the same seat that I've got sat today thinking, is this going to work? Yeah. <laughs> and now we have the international brand known as Soho House. Right? I go to Chicago every now and then because I just like its authenticity. Yeah. You know, I don't go yeah. a lot, but I like what Chicago is. So if you think, right, Escargo, I'd go to the club at the Ivy because that's just a comfortable dining room to for, if I'm meeting somebody. Uh, the, the Poland Street Social Club, I think, is wonderful food and they have, they have meat that comes from Cumbria and they tell you about it. And then I'd, I frequent a lot of the little ones, but if, just every now and then. I'd, yeah. I would go into Nima's at 40 Dean Street. I'd go into, there's a very good tapas bar nearby I used to go to every now and then. I've said to my daughter, we should start just jumping from every one of these restaurants because there's such a wonderful sort of cross-section of restaurants there right yeah it's fantastic the, the offering of uh, restaurants bars and uh, speakeasy style clubs is, is fantastic in zoho is there any other projects that you're working on for 2021 well yes you see we, what we've done what we decided to do we, we've got this major project which is changos road now that's quite yeah. that's a lot of money a lot yeah. of money uh, the way we do things is we're not building this building and we're going to sell this building. We build this building, we're going to keep this building. And I'm very confident about its lettings. I'm talking to a few people now. And then we've got quite a decent chunk of Leicester Square and we need to be looking at that to redevelop that. And some buildings within Soho, which I would like to, when I keep saying this word fit for purpose, the, the buildings themselves, with the respect to their heritage and the respect to the, the Balkan design, 
I, we could do a lot of development in the rear of those buildings because they all step back and they're all higgledy-piggledy. There's a few developments like that. I can think of three in the street around Dean Street and Old Compton Street and then this major one in, um, in Leicester Square. And, and I think by the time those happen, I don't think it'll be me what's, I don't think it'll be me sat in this chair then. <laughs> We get, we get through those three. But what I don't want to do is rush at it. I don't need to. You know, I've got two generations in my house. They can do it. John, I've got to say, it's been an absolute treat speaking to you. I know we haven't met face-to-face yet, but we will definitely have those drinks when this is all over and we'll do that tour of Soho. I really hope the Save Soho campaign comes off and, and it'll be great for all the tenants and, and everyone who loves going to that part of London. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're a very busy man and I know you've got the, the grandkids coming over today. So thanks for coming on the Posh Cotley Show. I thank you very much for giving me the opportunity because, you know, we're just trying to save something that's dear to our hearts. John James, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed speaking to you and I can't wait for those drinks in Soho when this is all over. Let's move on to Friday's episode and it's the last episode of season one, so I've got a huge titan for you. You've heard his name many times in this podcast series. His name is Luke Thomas. He's had a phenomenal journey and I'm sure you're going to love hearing what he's got to say. Guys, once again, if you want to reach out to me, you can do by dropping me an email, liam.norval at poshcockney.co.uk or find me on social media at liamnorval across all platforms. Guys, have a great week and I'll see you on Friday. <laughs>